Hi guys, it's Rui here. Welcome to my social enterprise. It's been a month since I started this podcast, and I'm welcoming my fourth and fifth guests on my podcast, Jason and Sin from the Asli Co. to talk about their social entrepreneurial journey with Orang Asli. If you don't understand Malaysia language, Orang Asli means the indigenous people. The Asli Co. is a social enterprise with a mission to improve the life of Orang Asli in Malaysia by eradicating poverty. This is done through women empowerment and reducing the school dropout rate among the children. After identifying school fees is the main problem of the dropout rate, Jason and Sin came up with the idea of providing resources and knowledge for the indigenous women to earn some income at home for their children to continue their education. In this episode, Jason and Sin with the startup background will also share their learnings and also the changes they experienced while turning their career into social enterprise sector. Before we listen to Jason and Sin, remember to follow my.socialenterprise on Instagram for any podcast updates or to share your opinion or feedback about this episode. Hi, Jason and Sin. Could you just please introduce yourself uh, to the audience and tell them more about your background? So my name is Sin and um, both uh, Jason and I started this business, The Asli Co. in 2019. But before that, both of us were working in startups. And for me, I was working at a startup called Flexi Rome and I was the uh, VP of product development there. And I headed a team of uh, developers and designers and we created our apps, our websites, and that used to be uh, what I did. And But in 2018, we stumbled upon this opportunity to help the Orang Asli community. And that's when we jumped on to start the Asli Co. But we'll go into that later. Mm. Yeah, hi. How about Jason? Yeah. Yeah, hi, I'm Jason. Uh, I previously worked with startups as well. So we're both from oh. the startup field. Uh, we have uh, Easy Taxi, Jetspray, Food Panda, and also my own uh, proofreading and translation company. So that has given us the, the, the experience like, to, to grow this business and <laughs> to, to grow the business, basically. And uh, what was I going to say? Uh? Um, we, we actually started as volunteers you know how we started working with the Aransis we started as volunteers we, we didn't buta buta you know go into the kampong and say hey we want to start a business with you it was true starting a business eh, sorry it was true uh, volunteering and building their homes that we built the relationships with them and and after that that's how we started the Asliko a bit more in depth into the how we started our volunteering journey so we volunteered with an NGO called Epic Epic Homes specifically, yeah. and they actually build houses for Orang Asli. And so we are in, we are volunteers that build houses. Why, why do I repeat myself? <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, let me make it more concise.
It's basically started from like volunteering with the Epic Home in okay. building houses for Orang Asli. When when was it? Uh, when was the volunteering? Uh, when did you guys start to volunteer with them? I think it's a long term commitment, right? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's been since two thousand and ten, and it's wow, that's quite long ago. Yeah. So I think I built about twenty plus houses. Sin, how many have you built? I think wow. I built around thirteen to fourteen houses. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, so cool. It's in different different kampongs in Kampung Hulu Tamu, Kampung Hulu Yam, Kampung Serenda. Mm. So throughout all these kampongs, then we we built the relationship. We got to know them really well. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and then oh. we also saw the problems that they were facing, lah, which mm. was, um, that the kids were just dropping out of school very, at a very high rate, lah, about fifty percent according to the Katua kampongs. Mm. So we thought, hey, I think we can, you know, do, no, sorry. And we found out why they were actually dropping out of school. It's a very simple reason because they parents just could not uh parents just could parents just could not afford to send the kids to school. You know, even two ringgit a day to send one kid to school to pay canteen money was a bit tough. Mm-hmm. And that's not even inclusive of the Uran Skola, the clothes, the books, and all that yet. Could you tell us more about like the social enterprise model of Aspi Co? So, I mean, when we first identified the problem, it was, it was, it seemed like a problem that we could solve just by, you know, giving money. But that would mean helping very few people and we don't, we're not super rich people. We don't have very deep pockets. Mm. So the more sustainable way would be to help them build a business together so that they can fund themselves to uh, put their kids through school in the future. And they can in turn help other people as well to earn an income instead of just relying on us, relying on people to donate to them. So that is why we came up with the social enterprise model, whereby we teach them how to make uh, modern handicrafts so that they can, you know, be different. You know, they can sell marketable products that people want that are in demand and they can put their kids through school. So that's the basic uh, business model of the Aspico. So what are some of the products that you have uh, currently? And also I remember you told me that your first product is actually a cement pot, right? Yeah. So we got this cement pot here. Yeah. So we, we actually have three different designs. This is just one of them. And this is how we started the first project with them. And we started with a lady named Anissa. So she was very enthusiastic and we were actually quite lucky as well so when we first went to our first bazaar to sell we sold out i don't know a few hundred pots i think yeah and we made about four or five thousand ringgit and that's how the business launched so since then we've been on profit just from selling these pots so we've rolled the profits to make different different products like uh, Mm. sanitizers which is great during covid Mm. uh Handmade soaps. Mm, mm, mm. So we have soaps that look like a uh, kueh. This one looks oh, like that's so that's so real. <laughs> yeah. So this one is our special product for Chinese New Year, but on a regular basis, our hero product is uh kueh kueh soaps. We don't have it right here right now. Sorry, it's in the office. Mm, it's fine. Yeah. So the hero product are kueh soaps that look like kueh bingka, kueh lapis, and kueh serimuka. So you can check it out on our website. Yeah. What are some of the, you know, like your future plan other than selling uh, products? Is there any other 
uh, plan that you have, you know, to help this orang uh, asli? So, um, so far we've been teaching uh, a lot of mothers how to sew. And sewing is a great skill to have because you don't just you can't you don't just sew our products. You can also sew items for your own use, their own use. And for example, they can fix their their clothes. They are also uh, start sewing all their curtains and also curtains, cushion covers, pillowcases. They, they can fix their tudongs. Yes. So yeah, there's a lot they can do with the skill. And also, it's a lifelong skill to have because it's also something that is uh, that they can use for other purposes, lah. Basically, and. We are looking at making more products that are sewing based. For example, we have a, um, this one is interesting. We have a bubble tea cup holder, and I, I have a. Oh, it will. That's a new product. Yeah, instead of uh, having plastic bags, you can use this mm. to hold your drinks, and also to insulate against the cold. Mm. Yeah, so we plan to train more mothers to sew. And that would that would give them also a skill that is uh, lasting and lifelong. Hmm. So edu basically is education, right? Because what based on what you say, you train them and then they learn from the skill, and then from there you give them more uh, job opportunities right. from expanding the product range, right? Yeah. Yes, that's right. Oh, that's so. Cool. That's maybe cool. I share a bit on the business model, mm-hmm. So what we what the Asli Code does is we provide the training, we provide the raw materials, we provide the equipment, and we bring everything to their kampung. So they can they can either work in their house or they can work from the day one, the community center. And normally they like to work in a community center because they get to babora with each other, they get to work together, and they produce items as a team, lah. Mm. You know. So, for example, like the pots, uh, we bring them the paint, the paintbrush, the cement, uh, and then later we put in the, the plant to sell. So for uh, soaps, we give them all the materials for the soaps and mm. uh, the, the gas stove and everything. All the materials to melt the soaps and to the essential oils even, we provide all that. So our job is also to design and market the products. So we also... S- like pre-sell the products so that they actually get a big order to to work on, so that is worthwhile for them and they can make a steady income. So how they earn the income is through their products made. So mm-hmm. every product, every successful product that they make that passes QC, mm-hmm. then we pay them cash on the same day itself. Yeah. So that that way they are incentivized to provide uh, good quality items lah, and they also understand that customers want a certain quality for a product that they're paying for mm. yeah mm, definitely so you are more like a, a medium yeah to like marketing agent yeah. and then the the supply chain to for them to sell their products what are some of the difficulties you face when you kick started to this project like when you approach the is there any difficulty that you face when you approach the orang asli to the project for the project i think the main you think of something uh, yeah the the main difficulty right is the distance that we have to travel that the, uh-huh. the cost incurred is actually very high uh, to travel to different different kampongs to make sure that we can send all our raw materials there to 
send our teachers there to do training, to send our riders there, our drivers to pick up items. It all adds up in the long run. You know, some people say, you know, why why you guys go through so much trouble? You know, you can just get all this from a kilang, you know, and sell. But then that doesn't impact the community. You know, that that's the reason why people buy our products because they can impact the community. So although it's a bit tough, but the the reward at the end, you know, the the satisfaction at the end there is it's it's very rewarding lah, seeing the ladies earn on their earn their income and send their own two feet. Uh, some of them are even breadwinners now during MCO. Mm. Uh, some of them can earn up to thousand five hundred ringgit per month, so it's oh. a lot of money for them. For yeah, some of them who who've never worked for many many years now because they stay home to take care of their kids, they cannot find work outside, and mm. now they have flexibility and they can earn up to thousand five per month, so they're loving it. <laughs> Their income is more more stable, is it? Like for when they participate in this program. So basically, prior to it, they they don't have income because they're oh. stay at home moms. Mm. Yeah, and there's no opportunity for work in the kampung. Mm. So they're actually pretty very happy that they can you know work work at the comforts of their home while also taking care of their young children. That's actually mainly one of the many reasons they like to work with us mm. yeah so an example is a uh, very good example is ayu from mm. kampong kuang so she works about two hours in the morning before her kids wake up and then she goes through her day cooking for them doing her household chores like regular and then at night once they go to sleep she starts sewing again another two to three hours and that's all she works two to five uh, mm. sorry uh about three to five hours a day she works and she makes about thousand five per month yeah just making masks yeah. yeah. So, so what we also aim for is to make sure we pay them a, a very very fair wage, and we pay up to four to four times the minimum salary uh, minimum hourly wage, which stipulated by Malaysian government. So the minimum hourly wage is like five ringgit, nine five ringgit eighty cents if I'm not wrong. So mm-hmm. we pay them up to four times that amount per hour of their work. Yeah. In that way, they can work lesser hours, but yet still earn enough. Mm. And our main goal that main goal is that they can, they don't have to give up their family while while working, but also be able to send the kids to school with the extra money that they are earning. Yeah. Talking about the women empowerment, because like what you tell us is more about. You give them the materials and also help teach them how to use their skill to make products and then sell it. It's more about empowerment. Good. And also what it links to um, the schooling problem in the among the orang asli. Could you tell us more about the real scenarios about the school height, the school dropout rate among the children mm. in indigenous children? And so how you know like this women empowerment helps in this problem? So we've spoken to a lot of the mothers actually and when we ask them about you know why do children drop out of school in the kampong they say it's because they really have no no means to provide the school fees and also the school uniforms they can't afford to buy the the canteen money they cannot afford and they don't want that but if they can, they really want all their kids to graduate and finish school, if possible, get a better life by going to uh, 
college or uni, but it's it's something college and uni is something very far fetched for them. It's like not even in their dreams that that they can reach because of the the costs involved. And but for I would say that they are very eager if given the opportunity to want their children to lead a better life. And I would say most of them believe that education is the key, that their kids have to finish school. And a lot of the mothers actually don't, did not finish even uh, high school. So they wish uh, their children have a better future. And yeah, basically, yeah. they want to give a better chance to their children, mm-hmm. like, you know, something that they, they couldn't afford to do themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, so if they had the opportunity, you know, like with working with us, so a big chunk of their income also goes towards paying for their school uh, education fees, their tuition fees, and sending them to uh, recess. Because yeah. mm-hmm. otherwise, uh, most of their income, right, is spent on just on food. Mm-hmm. So it's daily sustenance, you know, yeah. to buy rice, minyak, uh, sugar. That's mm. where most of their income goes towards. Yeah. Uh, sometimes this is something that we learned recently. Mm. Uh, sometimes if they don't have enough money, uh, they uh, should what's that word? Eh? Kaparut, uh, like kaparut. Putus makan. Yeah. So this yeah. is something that we oh. learned recently. This is a word called putus makan. So if they don't have enough money, they just go without eating. You know. So that's something very real. You know. Yeah. Um, education is you know maybe not something so important. What's more important is putting food on the table so we can eat today, you know. Um, you know, is there any schools in the village or how difficult for the children to go to school or other than the fee problems? Mm. Maybe, you know, is are they facing some problems with transportation or is it they have to spend very long time to go to school or any difficulties they face in the school? Okay. So currently, they do have uh, transportation provided by the government to go to the school. So that's not a, a major issue. One of the major issue is actually the fee problem and also not being able to afford the extra money for, for exercise books and also the fees that are involved. Because one child maybe costs 100 to 150 ringgit, but if they have three children, then it's three or five children, then it will become oh. a big sum that they cannot afford at the start of the year. And is high birth rate a problem as well? Um, I don't, I don't think so. But it's more due to poverty, lah. Mm-hmm. So, okay. uh, that's one. And in the schools, I have heard, but have not verified that they say that um some of the kids get bullied la, because of their their race, because they are Orang Asli. And that's why some of them also drop out of school because they are bullied. But we cannot verify this because we are not in the schools. So, yeah. But mostly, according to all the uh, parents, it's mostly they cannot afford the fees and therefore they just let their kids drop out of school. So from what I heard, right, um, different different people tell us different things about government help. Uh, mm. Some would some would say yes, I applied for this program, I got about two hundred bucks a month here. I applied for another program, I get eighty bucks a month there. Mm. So it's a little bit here and there, lah, you know. But mm. basic, lah, very basic, lah, basic help. Yeah. Mm. Just 
possibly not enough for them to they, they if they have to choose between food and sending a kid to school then yeah. they have to choose food first otherwise they will go hungry yeah so currently how many uh, around asli kampong uh, you are uh, working with and also how many ladies have you been working with mm, good question so we are in four kampongs right now Kampung Orang Asli Serenda, Kampung Orang Asli Sungai Buloh, Kampung Orang Asli uh, Ulu Kuang, and Kampung Orang Asli Bukit Chiding. In, uh, mostly in the Selangor area at the moment. Mm-hmm. So currently we've trained about 35 Orang Asli mothers. Mm. Yeah. What's, what's your vision on this, you know, these numbers? I, how many people you like to approach? What's your, your three years plan maybe? Yeah, that's for sure. Um, we would love to, you know, reach out to more mothers to help them do uh, business from home as well. Uh, but that's also given that our demand can grow at the same time. Lah. So if demand can grow at the same time, we would love to work with 200 mothers in the next three years. Yeah, I think this, this year we would like to target at least 30 more. Talking about demand, how supportive you see have you seen uh, from the your customer and also the market? about this um, social enterprise and also your your mission so far customers has been very 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 supportive when they hear about what we're doing they 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 love the products and also the cause behind the products and they love that when they buy our products they're also helping an orangely mother so they've been super super supportive and we have uh, big companies on board as well that have been purchasing uh, all their gifts and also their uh, uh, care packs for their staff from us. And so that has kept us going strong last year in 2020, even though it was, a, a ter- um, I would say, a tough year in 2020. Uh, we, we were kept pretty, pretty strong by these uh, corporate orders. Mm. And... We hope for more more uh, customers like this in 2021. Yeah, I think one key thing to do as a social enterprise is to ensure that we are creating products that people want. Mm. You know, mm. instead of just uh, selling what the Oransi sell, we have to figure out what are people searching for, what are people looking for. You know, uh, what do they want to buy, and then we create those products. Mm. So, for example, right now everyone is looking for sanitizers and masks. So thankfully, we got into that business early on during the first MCO. And so that has put us on the map lah, with the corporate companies. Mm. Yeah. So you do see the demand. Mm, no, maybe I, was, I should say that more people are interested into um, social causes um, business, right? Mm. Yes. Oh, that's, that's a great thing. They are getting more aware. Uh, to be frank, when we mm-hmm. first started, I think three years ago in uh, our first bazaar, we always hear like, ah, you are charity, ah, charity, ah. <laughs> That's the standard question that we always hear, lah. Are you guys a charity? You know, so we have to go about explaining what's a social enterprise, yeah. how we're different from a charity, you know, how we are sustainable and we don't rely on donations. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's uh, very hard to explain sometimes. Yeah. But, but I think sometimes it's just like you don't really need to explain, but just do, like. Like you say, create demand, uh, create the, fulfill the need of the demand. 
and then you can do more for the causes that you want to contribute in. Yes, correct. We don't have to go out there begging to have a sale. You know? <laughs> so naturally, you want to buy the product, which is, whew, save us some hassle. <laughs> well, so like, because you two have been in uh, startup environments, startup companies previously. So what are some of the differences you find uh, between you know, startup and also social, your social entrepreneurship uh, enterprise? Mm. <laughs> so I think we both experienced the same thing, but let me sh- let me share mm. first. So in the startups that I've been, uh, they all require a lot, a lot of funding. So funding is like readily available, like millions and millions mm. of USD, and all we got to do is just spend it and grow. But mm. as a social enterprise, it's the complete opposite. It's about creating the impact first and growing slowly, and hopefully we can grow and impact more people. Uh, no one is going to throw millions and millions of dollars at the social enterprise to begin with. Lah, you know? So that's the polar, very big difference that I've experienced uh, from a startup and a social enterprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would concur with huh. Jason because um, <sighs> I think uh, for, for a startup, it's more about you know, getting market share, you know, revenues, profits, you know, yeah. bottom lines. But in, in a social enterprise, you, you need to look at your impact that you create together with the amount of uh, money that you, you make. And the revenues that we make are also to go back into making more impact for, for our beneficiaries, which is quite a different business model, I would say, from startups. Yeah, yeah it's a lot more hands-on and a lot more people-based as well. We are mm. very close with our beneficiaries as well as compared to you know, a tech startup. We, you don't know who your customers are. You don't really know who your partners are as well. You know? So you don't build that close relationship. Lah. I think uh, social enterprise or social entrepreneurship, you emphasize a lot on stakeholders mm. engagement. Am I right? Correct. Stakeholder mm. engagement emphasized. Yes. <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> But what are some of the, personally, from a personal point of view, some of the lessons that you have learned throughout this social entrepreneurial journey? Because it's like your, it's a turning point for you guys, like from the startup and then you change to uh, social entrepreneurship slowly, even slowly, and then you quit like for full time for this social enterprise. For me, um. So when we first started, it was just the two of us. And and we actually uh, continued with just the two of us being in a company and doing everything ourselves for the longest time, actually. Almost one full year of that. And, oh, sorry, two full years of that. And so I realized that um, it's really hard to do things alone and it's better to have a, a team of people that... Uh, you can work with and also um, everyone so that everyone can bring in part of their their experience and also their knowledge into solving problems together and also uh, working on things together so one of the stories I have and is that we were having this trouble with our first product our pots we had like this massive order and we were having trouble with a particular part of the process of the the making of the pot but 
what happened was our Orangasi friends were actually very resourceful and very innovative. And they were the ones who came up with the solution to remove the inner mold from the cement pot easily without cracking it. So previously, our method involved like destroying the inner pot. That means extra costs. We had to buy new inner, inner molds all the time. But they came up with an ingenious way, which was just to use a knife to pop it up. And voila, the inner mold is completely preserved and can be used over and over again, which also works with our ethos because we are uh, we want to promote a sustainable business and not to create so much waste while doing business. And so we were very happy that they were able to help and uh, work with us together to um, innovate our products and make it better. So my learnings is that you can learn from anybody and you should be uh, not afraid to ask uh, anybody to help you out in your journey, basically. Um, for me, my my biggest learnings is about learning how to be patient. Lah. You know, I'm not a very patient person to begin with, uh, even more so when working in startups. Everything was very fast, 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 fast. Get things done. Everyone wants things done yesterday, you know. And But when we're working with uh, Orang Asri, uh, our beneficiaries, we have to be a bit more patient with them, you know, we have to explain things uh, step by step from A to Z, you know, and we we really have to, you know, get down on grassroots level to figure out a problem and to solve problems as we go, you know. Uh, so it's very different. Like, I, I've come a long way and uh, grown a lot more patient, I believe. Um, I just wanted to add something uh, that... I think uh, after being in uh, social enterprise for two years, I can I can say that it's actually a very rewarding experience. And more young people would like to start a business, they can think about starting a social enterprise because it's not just a business that, that is profitable. It also gives back to the community and also for a cause that you care for. And that will keep you going and in 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 terms of your your personal uh fulfillment i would say mm. so not just it's not just in you're not just in there uh for for money and profits you're also there because your business can help uh, mm. impact this uh, people or cause that you you care for and that really helps give you a lot of encouragement yeah. to go on so now, right, every time we have a business idea, we're like, huh, how can we, how can we bring in the Oranasis to do this business with us, you know? <laughs> so it's like any, any business out there, it can, you can turn it into a social enterprise if you really want to, you mm-hmm. know, there's, there's no doubt about it. And sometimes people ask me, why, why you care so much? Why you want to just do social, social enterprise? I ask them back, why, why not, you know, why not have a business where you help a certain community? Mm. You know, what, what, what's the point of so much millions and millions and millions of profit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> help, help a community get to be a millionaire as well, why not? Mm. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you have been inspired by Jason and Sin's story. If you would like to know more about the SD Co., or really interested to look up their product range, please check out the podcast description for the link to the website.